Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Streams of Winter. Livestream 18. House Dame. Hello and welcome to the Streams of Winter. I'm Yoke Boy and we are Radio Westeros. Thanks so much to all of you for tuning into this live stream this afternoon. We'll be talking today about a whole house, a Dornish house, which is full of mystery and intrigue and to some extent has a sort of cult status in the fandom, I think. Guys, we're talking, of course, about... House Dane of Starfall. They are a noble house who loom large in the plot and we think their role is perhaps set to expand in the Winds of Winter. So what will become of Darkstar, Edric or Illyria? Who will wield the illustrious and famous Blade Dawn? And just what is what is it about this house that seems to set them apart from the crowd? There is some weird mystique, isn't there? To help me answer these questions and more, here's the other half of Radio Westeros, Lady Gwyn. Hello, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for being here. We are so really excited about this House Dane content because uh, there's so much to talk about. People, things, places, you name it, we've got it with House Dane, so... We're going to start out with focus on one of the most controversial members of House Dane, that being Sir Gerald Darkstar Dane. So that should be fun for the first half or so of of today's broadcast. But let me uh, introduce today's guest who's here to help talk Darkstar and all things Dane with us. We're happy to welcome Monaro from Monaro Geek TV. Hi there, and thanks for being here. Thank you. I just want to say hello to everyone and thank Radio Westeros, um, Lady Gwen and your boy for inviting me, um, especially to talk about House Dane and one of my favorite bad boys, Darkstar. <laughs> Yay! Well, we're glad you could be here for this. <laughs> it was a long time coming. We started talking about this a long time, <laughs> like months and months and months ago. So fi- glad it's finally here. Uh, reminder to everyone that uh, it's spoilers everything, so we will be talking about some wins content potentially. So, uh, with that said, back over to you, Yoke Boy. Let's go. Yeah, spoilers all books. <laughs> I know you love that line, guys. <laughs> and for the Winter Winter Sample chapters, obviously. So, let's get on with it and we'll talk about Dark Star, the bad boy, one of Monaro's favorites. Aria Hotar and Obara Sand 
are on their way to high hermitage with Balon Swan, ostensibly bringing justice to Sir Gerald Dane for his attack on Marcella. Previously, we talked a lot about Hotar, Obara and Sir Balon, but today we're here to talk about Darkstar. So let me begin with asking, who exactly is Gerald Dane and why did he get involved in Ariane's Queenmaker plot? And to begin, why don't you take us away, Monaro? Well, Gerald Dane is a cousin of Arthur Dane, um, according to the story. And his seat is in High Hermitage in the mountains of Dawn near Starfall. I think he got involved with the Ariane's Queenmaker plot to gain an advantage for himself and House Dane. As it stands, Arthur is dead and the next in line is Edric Dane as the Lord of Starfall. So he's obviously um, jealous of his cousin, Arthur. And he may want the title of Lord of Starfall for himself because the only two males that are left in the line are himself and Edric. He could also want to make a bigger name for himself because he's known as Darkstar, but everybody knows that the, the, the envied title um, for House Dane is the Sword of the Morning. So Marcella being made queen and him playing a part in her being made queen would be a great way for him to be made Lord of Starfall. Yeah, that's a good point because we see it time and again, people sort of throwing in with whatever candidate they think is going to give them what they want, you know, throughout the War of the Five Kings. You know, if you have competing candidates for lordships or what have you you know they just pick a whichever candidate for the throne they think will give them that reward so uh great point and i'm also glad that you brought up the relationship between dark star and the main branch of house dane because the feast for crows appendix lists gerald dane as edric's cousin and bannerman and gerald himself calls arthur his cousin it's never mentioned specifically what the relationship is but i feel like it's much closer than what cadet branch often implies we see cadet branches of house Arryn and house stark and house lannister that are all pretty far removed from the main family but in the case of darkstar i feel like this palpable jealousy he has of his cousin arthur probably indicates a relationship um, that's so close that Gerald Dane might, like you mentioned, have some sort of claim to Starfall. Uh, you know, he might be right behind Illyria as Edric's heir. So while um, many feel like Arianne might have had some kind of influence over him, uh, I think it's pretty clearly telegraphed in the first Arianne sample chapter that she actually didn't know him all that well. So I'm more of the mind that his involvement was something meant to serve his own interests rather than something that he did for Ariane. Plus that also seems to be more like in keeping with his character, what little we know of it so far. You both make great points. And I think you're in agreement about a lot of them. But And I was going to say, for me, it's a really interesting question about Darkstar's motives in entering this plot. If, as reported, he did in fact slash the face of Princess Marcella, then that is a hell of a commitment to this cause, isn't it? As Monare explained, there's a possibility that he was trying to climb the ladder in some way and make a bigger name for himself. 
But why would he want war? We know that from his conversations with Ariane, he knew exactly what that attack meant. This is how you start a war, he says, not with a crown of gold, but with a blade of steel. It's a cowardly act and obviously not carried out by a man with any honour. But I can't really understand his full motives behind it. This tells me that there's going to be a lot more to Darkstar than meets the eye. And I'm beyond curious to see how George adds further shading to this character and what twists and revelations might be in store. Some people talk about Darkstar like he's a character that we all know really well inside out. But until we understand just what he wants and why he wants it, I don't think we know him very much at all. Until then, he remains somewhat two-dimensional for me, which is why I think portions of the fandom don't really connect with this character as George had intended as this sort of perhaps romantic badass character. So, moving on. In the Princess and the Tower chapter, Doran says to Ariane, you are a fool to make him part of this. Darkstar is the most dangerous man in Dawn. You and he have done us all great harm. So why exactly does Doran judge Darkstar to be the most dangerous man in Dawn? What's the reasons you think, Lady Gwyn? Well, I think... That statement is another very good reason to assume that the Danes of High Hermitage are actually quite close to the Danes of Starfall, because you don't get a lot of knightly houses, which is what High Hermitage is, that are attributed with great power. Yet, in A Feast for Crows, when she's considering her Queenmaker plot, Arianne thinks that if the Ironwoods were to side with the Iron Throne against her and Marcella, she will, quote, have Darkstar destroy them root and branch. Now, House Ironwood is second only to House Martell and Dorne as far as power and influence. So that's expecting a lot, a lot of firepower, a lot of a lot of influence from what might seem at first glance to be a relatively minor nightly house. Uh, later in Ariane 1, in Winds of Winter, Damon Sand mentions that Darkstar is more viper than Oberyn ever was and says that it's a pity Oberyn never got around to killing him. And I think that all in all, if the Martells are going to tread with caution around this man, that we as the readers should really take note. What do you think, Monaro? I agree with what Lady Gwen just said, and I actually didn't even give it much thought about how much power the house itself in and of itself actually holds with in regard to the Martells. I thought that uh, Dark Star's thoughts and feelings were not so far removed from the Sand Snakes in that they wanted to start a, they want to start a war as a way of avenging their father. Though his ambition and I think his jealousy of of his cousin, which is kind of weird that you're that you're that you're jealous of a of a cousin that already died, but I guess because of the of his cousin's reputation and that you can't mention the the Dane house without mentioning Sir Arthur Dane. So I think you know he kind of lives in the shadow of that. And so that also makes him quite dangerous. We're also left to kind of speculate of his cruel deeds because we hear about how cruel and dangerous he is 
from others, but we've never actually seen those deeds played out on the page. But we do get a glimpse of it when he, of his when he attempts to uh, murder Marcella. That act in and of itself brought dishonor to House Martell and to Dorne, and it puts them in a dangerous position with the might of the Iron Throne and the Reach. As we know, Dorne and the Reach have a lot of Dorne and the Reach have a lot of bad blood between them. The Reach is tied to the Iron Throne by marriage because of Marjorie. So this would mean they would be involved in any war that would that were to break out between the Iron Throne in retaliation for Marcella. So as Doran states, they don't have the strength to fight the Iron Throne because they don't really have a huge uh, army because mm -hmm. um, they're not really a very populated part of the of, of Westeros. But history has shown that the terrain of Dorne has always given them an advantage in any fight, which the Sand Stakes um, make um, mention of. So they could use the terrain in the, to their advantage in any war or any skirmish that were to break out between themselves and the Iron Throne. Yeah, I, th I think that's that's a very good point. And um, I also I want to add one other thing which is just getting back to the simple statement about him being dangerous. I've always had this sort of thought that there might be something meta about that statement, which is kind of unrelated to the actual plot. Uh, but in Westeros and especially in Dorne, knowledge is power and probably in some cases also danger. So I'm very interested in the fact that High Hermitage lies directly on the route from the Prince's Pass to Starfall, meaning that any group looking to travel directly from, say, the Tower of Joy to Starfall would almost certainly go right past High Hermitage. Uh, Darkstar would have been a young squire about Bran's age in 283. And considering how much we see Bran get up to in A Game of Thrones early on, you know, he, he gains some pretty secret knowledge in a very short period of time at the beginning of the books. So I have to wonder if there might not be some little parallel there, you know, seven-year-old boy kind of messing around and finds out something he shouldn't or sees something he shouldn't see. So uh, I've always wondered if that dangerous knowledge might be George kind of nudging us to uh, think maybe Gerald Dane has some sort of, you know, knowledge that uh, might be dangerous to some people or some information about something, you know, that he witnessed all those years ago that will come out later in the story. Nice. That's uh, that's quite imaginative thinking there, Lady Gwen. <laughs> well. <laughs> I like it. So just to, to round up the question, I think Doran calling Darkstar the most dangerous man in Dawn really serves a meta-literary purpose. George must have been up against it, trying to sort of craft this character within the Dornish plot where so much had, had to be established in such a small amount of page space in A Feast for Crows when I think of all the information in those chapters it's, they're just loaded so I think Doran was trying to sell this character to us if he's feared by characters in universe especially by Darkstar's Dornish liege who speaks with wisdom and some authority then this blunt statement says much about this rogue character in just a few words so there's a sort of a meta reason why he might have used that line, just, you know, communicate so much so quickly. And 
In our live stream a few weeks back, we wondered about the news from Ariane's sample chapters that Abara, Ario, and Balon had been sent on this hunt that we've talked about to find Darkstar. Our patron, May Jernigan, wonders whose POV we'll be ex- experiencing the Danes from in all likelihood in the Winds of Winter. And this is it. I think it's here. It's with Eriohotar. So what are the odds of Abara in particular carrying out Doran's orders, considering she and Sir Gerald seem to be ideologically aligned, perhaps? What happens when these two come face to face? Minara? When those two come face to face, I think they might have a very interesting conversation. Because as I stated earlier, they are kind of somewhat aligned in wanting to go to war with the Iron Throne, but their, but their reason for doing so are very different. And remember that Ariane wanted to use him because he's good with a sword. So obviously he's, he's a good fighter and he would be a good person to have in the ranks. So Obara is still looking to avenge her father and Darkstar is in favor of going to war with the Iron Throne keeping in mind that Ario and Sir Balon Swan are with Obara. So Hota being lo- loyal to Duran and wanting to follow through with his orders to capture Darkstar and Swan being a Kingsguard loyal to the crown, there may be a showdown between them, but I think Darkstar to me seems to be more of a self-preserving type, especially from what happened when they got caught during the Queen Maker's plot. His first instinct was, I'm going to chop this little girl's head off and run out because <laughs> he was not about to fight, you know, get into a fight that he couldn't win. And so I would see that play out here unless he unless he thinks that he can ha- get an advantage by talking to Obara and and kind of convincing her, hey, don't take me in. Then the only the only people that he would really have to contend with truly if he can convince her of that would be Ariel Hota and Sir Billion Swan. And I don't see that happening. So um, the other part of me is thinking that he's gonna probably try to be more on the self-preservation, take the more self-preservation route and kind of like, I'm gonna go ahead and dip out and kind of rethink my my strategy so that I can live to fight another day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that he and Obara are definitely aligned in terms of their goals and kind of their, their worldview, uh, that, uh, if they're, that's some of the trouble between Ario Hota and Obara that we talked about a couple of weeks back, I think is going to come up because, you know, she probably is far more likely to ally herself with Darkstar, who's a man of Dorne, who shares her overall kind of, you know, outlook on things and, and what the Dornish should be doing uh, for their own benefit, than she is um, to ally herself with Balon Swan, uh, who this marcher lord from the Stormlands, who's, you know, their kind of ancient en- enemy, and she's already expressed a desire to outright murder him on account of his uh, complicity in the plot to kill Tristane. And so whatever happens, we know that Ariel Hota is almost certain to serve and obey his master, Prince Doran. So in my opinion, 
Dark Star's fate is going to come down to whatever Doran's actual orders were to Ariohota, which I'm not convinced that we know those orders yet. But uh, you raise a very good point that uh, Dark Star, if the going gets rough and starts to look like things are turning against him, I think he's pretty likely to nope out of there. <laughs> so, <laughs> see y'all later. <laughs> So excellent points, guys. And I was wondering, what else are you expecting or hoping for? And it seems both of you might have a little soft spot for Darkstar. So if stroke when we see him in the winds of winter through Aereo's POV, and I'm talking about everything from situation, conflict and setting and character dynamics, the whole, the whole nine yards. What do you think, Minaro? get a little bit more of a backstory with him. And I'm hoping that um, it gives us a little bit more insight as to why he is considered to be so cruel and so dangerous. And um, thinking back to what Lady Gwen, that little tidbit that little um, Lady Gwen said earlier with respect that he might have some knowledge that actually makes him dangerous, um, that kind of parallels Bran having some knowledge that made him dangerous. Um, I wonder if that also plays a part. And now that she mentions that we don't know what orders that Doran, Doran actually gave to Ariel Hota, I wonder if that also plays a part into that quote unquote secret knowledge that he may also kind of have that might not make him as dangerous as we you know, or might kind of play into that danger. Mm. But I can't really, I can't wait to see what happens when he actually crosses paths with the, um, what I'm gonna call the Dark Star Manhunt Operations Team. I, <laughs> I, I, um, I can't wait to see what, what happens when he crosses paths with them to see, you know, to see actually how that's gonna play out. And being that Lady Gwen made that, that comment that we don't know what the orders actually were, it may not turn out the way that we think. Um, then, you know, because Obara and, and Balon Swan are, un, are under the impression that they're supposed to capture him. But what if it's not supposed to be actually a capture mission? What if it's something else? And I think that I want to see some backstory, his motives and his general nature when on home turf. I feel like he's sort of wearing some kind of mask and I'd love to see some vulnerability that makes bad boy characters all that bit more interesting. But what could his vulnerabilities be? We're just so far from knowing that right now. But I think you can bet your butts that George has a far more complex dark star in his head than the one that we're all accustomed to. One great way to find a bad boy's weak spot is via a backstory, as Manara mentioned. And the th thought of where this guy has come from and w what happened to him makes to make him willing and able to maim or you know try and kill a young girl from horseback really does intrigue me. So I think there's a lot of character work to be done and it's all 
pretty fresh, to be honest, and promises to be extremely interesting given the aforementioned conflict with the bold Obara and what that could possibly bring this character to life. And another interesting aspect of his upcoming story, I think, is the setting. We learn Obara is headed to none other than High Hermitage along the Torrentine River. We know very little about all of this, and in one scenario, we get to see this place, guys. And I'm sure the Dark Star digs are splendid. There is the chance, of course... He sounds like a rock star. (laughs) (laughs) Just imagine. (laughs) It's going to be like MTV Cribs, but with Dark Star. There's always the chance, of course, that the story could be told sort of on the road and Darkstar arrives there on the road and High Hermitage remains off page, but of course I prefer the former speculation. I hope we'll find out all about this place and indeed the main seat of the Danes at Starfall in The Winds of Winter. What do you think, Lady Gwyn? I think I want to know all the Dark Star story, everything about him. Uh, I want that expose biography, please. Uh, how is he related to the main branch? What is I Hermitage like? Could he have seen Ned's party traveling past his home in 283? What exactly is his relationship with Ariane? How did he ever get involved in her plot? How did she communicate with him? Why do the Martells seem to respect his power or his ability to cause trouble so much? And getting away from his backstory, will his arc redeem his character in the Winds of Winter? And I'm not talking about his actual personality character, as in his morality or anything like that, but his status as a character in the novel. Give him some more dimension, George, and validate those of us who have been holding out hope for all these years that he is going to be a truly interesting character in the Winds of Winter. And uh, yes, obviously, a little bit of Dark Star fandom going on here, but we will have more on where that might be going shortly. I can't help but think every time I hear the name Dark Star, there's like some metal music like playing around in the background. There's like all of this smoke coming out as he walks, as he comes galloping on his horse. Like, <laughs> he's always kind of wherever he is there's a strategically positioned like fan to blow like blowing in the wind <laughs> i should have, i should have never started calling him a bad boy in this stream i've set you two off so we've heard today everyone's thoughts about dark star so tell me why do you think george would create a character like gerald dane monaro Well, Gerald Dane is the opposite of all the men we know that come from the Dane line. Most of the men we know from House Dane are honorable and brave men. Their deeds allow them to have the honor of being called Sword of the Morning and to bestow upon them the ancestral sword, Dawn, as part of that title. But I think George felt he needed to insert a black sheep or a black star or a dark star in the line Otherwise, the family would be too picture perfect. So um, in addition, I want to add that it seems to be that way in every house, right? There's always a one one particular character in every household that has like this this um, this dark mark attached to them. And the one that comes to mind is Blackfish, right? Because he he takes he takes the name Blackfish 
as as part of his moniker in in, in House Tully. And it's it's interesting that Darkstar takes the name Darkstar as his moniker instead of Sword of the Morning. Yeah, and of course he says, I am of the night. So he's got all this kind of dark imagery about him. What do you think, Lady Gwen? Oh, well, I think uh, that's all quite true. Uh, back in 2006 at uh, Worldcon, Ran, Elio Garcia reported that, quote, George doesn't seem to have known that Darkstar isn't very popular in the fandom. Uh, he thought that a bad boy character would go over quite well since people seem to love the Hound and even Theon Greyjoy so very much. So, yeah, I think he wanted to insert some sort of drama into Dorne to give us this, you know, color, local color, if you will. And I personally find that that comparison to Sandor and Theon coming right from George's head, just in an off-the-cuff comment, is very interesting. Those characters might both be bad boys on the outside, but they have very rich backstories and lots of internal conflict that goes along with that. So put that in the more to come category. Yeah, I, I guess on the downside, we're not going to see him fleshed out quite as much as those two characters, especially Theon with his POV. But anyway, we, you know, the Winds of Winters, many pages, so there's enough for some character development of Darkstar. I think it's worth noting with the proposed five-year gap, that Edric could have been Sword of the Morning and the Man of the House, so to speak, and his age would have been appropriate for those roles, I think. However, as has been noted in the fandom, George did a U-turn on the concept of the five-year gap between A Storm of Swords and Feast, and this really did cause a lot of problems with the continuity and the timeline and really the ages of characters, especially those of the younger characters who would have sort of skipped right into adulthood had this gap been implemented. So perhaps there is a decent case to be made that this Edric void needed to be filled and shored up somehow. And so George might have sort of sketched in Darkstar along those lines. So I think this is the last Darkstar question I'm going to ask. I was going to say, does Darkstar have an important role to play in the story going forward? Or is he simply an emo parody of his more famous cousin like a lot of fans seem to assume. If he really is important to the story, I'd like to know why. Minara? I think he has a role to play, but it may not be a huge role. His role may just be to drive the Dorn plot forward in some way. If he decides to slip away from High Hermitage and he may end up hooking up with the Fagon crew, and that may give him the advantage that he wants with respect to um, being made Lord of Starfall. He may be able to offer his sword in return for being made Lord of, of, of Starfall, and then also, uh, I guess, by default, being made, being named Sword of the Morning, and then womp-de-womp, you know, Dawn is now his sword. He is an enigmatic character for a reason. And so I don't think George would have inserted him in the Dorn story arc if he didn't have a part to play. He comes from a very honorable house, even though he's a, a branch of that house. 
and so and the Danes have played a a pivotal role in the in the Targaryen um, dynasty, so much so that Aegon V has um, some direct lineage to somebody from the House of Dane. So he may yet be one Dane that plays a pivotal role in the Targaryen dynasty or Blackfire dynasty, if we go along with the Blackfire conspiracy that you both talked about a few years back. So Darkstar would fit right in with the Blackfire pot. Again, all of these darker characters or the opposite opposing, the opposite of the of the characters that we see as the good, the good ones, and then we have like the, the bad ones. And so he would probably fit in with the Blackfire plot if that's how George would steer his character as a way of if he were to not face off with um, with Obara and Ariel Hota and Sir Belan Swan, and he were to uh, escape in some way, maybe he might end up hooking up with Aegon and uh, John mm -hmm. Connington. Yeah, I think that's a pretty popular viewpoint of where he might be going. I mean, I have to say that I definitely think he has a role to play. And as I was saying, my answer to the last question, the fact that George mentally compares Darkstar to characters like Theon and Sandor should really, really, really make us take note. Uh, remember that neither of those characters was particularly sympathetic when we first met them. Sandor was really scary from the Stark kid's point of view. And then he killed Micah, a young, innocent boy. Uh, Theon was, in Jon Snow's words, an ass. And then far worse. Uh, he was accused of being a child killer, of killing his own uh, foster brothers. So somehow, over time, the author has managed to make each of them into a compelling character uh, whom fans find a lot of nuance in, and a lot of fans uh, cite these two characters as among their favorite characters. So like Monaro said, why create this character at such a late stage of the narrative without a purpose? Uh, there are lots of theories out there in the fandom about what he might do or why he might do it. We get the usual hidden identity stuff. I'm not kidding. He's the real Viserys was something I read on Reddit a couple days ago. <laughs> not really buying that one, but they, they're out there. Uh, there's, you might join up with Aegon, like I just said, or you might be instrumental in whatever happens with Don, whether it's with, you know, to, to do with him directly or something else. But I want to suggest that whatever he does do, his character could also be an opportunity for George to continue his conversation on knights and knighthood. What if... Arthur Dane, shining white knight, the the hero of Jamie's youth, wasn't all that all he was cracked up to be. He served Ares after all, and we do have to hold anyone who did that to account at some point. And in fact, when questioned about that, George gave his standard keep reading. So there's more information to come about that. What if Darkstar turns out to be some sort of anti-hero? I mean, what I'm saying is that this character has barely been introduced to us at this point in the story. There's still two books and a lot more story to come for George to weave his magic. So I think we should all take his uh, his advice and uh, keep reading, which usually means you know don't make your don't make, don't form your opinion yet because I got a lot more information to give you in the future. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Okay, so I think we're around the halfway point. And let's be light-hearted for a moment. Lady Gwyn, over to you, because we did a Twitter poll about Darkstar, didn't we? Yes, we did. It's been a while since we did a Twitter poll uh, before a live stream, but uh, we thought we would. this is a great opportunity to get back to doing that. So our Twitter poll was, tell us what you think of Darkstar. And we had four options. We had, uh, he's a pathetic failure of a character. And that, you know, in, in my point of view, that meant from a writing standpoint. Actually, we I think we phrased it, he's a pathetic emo uh, in the poll. <laughs> then we also had the option of evil would be child killer. Could be interesting, more to come. Maybe, maybe just getting interesting. And then finally, option four was he's my boy. <laughs> so here's how it all point, panned out. We had 471 people vote in the poll. 25% of them or around 118 went with pathetic emo 18% or around 85 just can't get beyond the attack on Marcella and went with evil would be child killer 46% 216 people voting could be interesting more to come so maybe you know waiting to see what happens with this character and uh, coming in at 11% or 52 votes he's my boy so I know that our friend Sanrixian out there in the chat was one of those people. We managed to bump it from 10 to 11% right in the last hour. So that's something. <laughs> Interesting thing about the poll is that those numbers pretty much stayed static from the first 10 minutes all the way to the end. So pretty, I think that would, is going to indicate that, you know, everybody's got their opinions and their you know, they're pretty well formed. People weren't really changing their minds at that point about Darkstar. Maybe we've changed some minds. I don't know. But uh, we could give our own answers here if uh, you guys want yeah, to. Do it. Okay. I yeah, was, what's yours, Lady Gwen? I was in the 46%. Um, could be interesting, more to come. Uh, uh, much more of the definitely interesting, more to come. But the way we phrased it, I, I chose that one. Although I, I kind of tip into he's my boy because i do like him i do like the character a lot so minaro what do you think what what's your vote he's definitely my boy but then you know i don't know what that says about me because i usually gravitate towards all of the bad boy characters because they seem to have most of the fun and um yes i know he tried to take the head off of a little child i know that doesn't really bode well for him but i'm thinking that he probably felt he had a really good reason and didn't have any other options. And so I might, I don't know, 
maybe I'm a bad person to say that maybe I might give him a pass because he may have a good he had a good reason for it. I mean, it was either that or his head would have came off. So, you know, self-preservation sometimes. But yeah, other than that, I think he's a pretty cool character. He's my boy. I'm just gonna, you know, I'm gonna hang in there with him. Maybe he'll change. Right. Exactly. So our friend and patron Yogi said that why can't it be all four? So I'm going to go with that. Pathetic, evil, could be interesting. He's my boy. I'll go with that. Slight correction. Yogi said he's definitely not my boy. Oh, I don't. He's in the chat, and I don't want to misrepresent what he. <laughs> Sorry, man. What he said, but someone in response to him did claim that it was all of the above. So obviously, we had fun with that. So, <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, sometimes we run Twitter polls the night before the live stream, so you can follow us on Twitter. Okay, why don't we move forward and start the second half of the broadcast and sort of zoom in on a few of the characters who aren't Darkstar in House Dane, because he's not the only interesting person. What about Edric? Last seen with Beric Dondarrion's BWB, Lord Edric Dane seems to have vanished from the page in front of our eyes. What do you think he's been up to? And will we see him in Dawn in the Winds of Winter? What do you think, Monaro? I think he's back at Starfall by now. Um, he is now the Lord of Starfall. So I think he's back there. He's probably, you know, gotten with his aunt told told her all about Lord Beric and his um, and his death. And also, you know, I believe that he's probably being groomed now that he is the the Lord of the house to be groomed to be able to take up his responsibilities. Um, we may see him in the Winds of Winter. And, and if we do, I, I think we're gonna see him through Area Hota's point of view because again, the fact that they're going after he's he's part of the team that's going after Darkstar. I'm sure they're going to make a stop over by Starfall on the way to get to High Hermitage. And I'm I'm hoping um through if they do make a stop and they do and we do see him that we'll also see Alaria because I think those two have a lot of information that they can tell us that we don't know because it's their house. They 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 both kind of grew up in Starfall. So they can give us a lot of backstory that we're missing. And um, maybe Lady Gwen can get uh, all of that information that she's looking for, the, the softer side of Darkstar, that she's hoping to find out that something happened to him in his childhood, which made him the way that he is. So unless we hear about him from somebody else's point of view that can give us an update, as to what is happening in Starfall, I'm I'm thinking that we'll see him in on the pages of Ariel Hota's point of view. Yeah, I think that's right, and uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's pretty likely that Edric Dane and maybe Angai, because he's not with the BWB anymore either. Apparently, I think they probably left the Riverlands together after Beric's final death. And the Winds of Winter is going to find them maybe at least temporarily at Starfall. I do wonder, though, if if he'll still hold some loyalty for his brethren in the Riverlands, um, if this pair might come across or might have already come across Greenbeard and the Mad Huntsman, other members of the BWB who were last known to be foraging south of the Mander, 
could we see a mini BWB reunion in Dorne through Ariel Hota's eyes? I mean, that would be weird if he rolled up to Starfall and then there's Cedric hanging out with a bunch of people from the Brotherhood without banners. <laughs> I don't know. We could hope. Uh, at 13, Edric is still some years away from possibly being a knight. Like Yoke Boy was saying, he's, uh, you know, with the five-year gap, he would have been the perfect age to be a young warrior and possibly assume the role of Sword of the Morning. But barring that, I expect he's going to play some role with whatever ends up happening with Dawn, since George can uh, hardly keep Chekhov's legendary sword out of the narrative forever. Well, I think you guys have more or less covered it. What could I add? I'm particularly interested to see if we ever get any confirmation that Edric is called Ned as an homage to the Ned Stark, or if that reman, rem, remains um, fan speculation forever, because I think people have thought that for a long time. Personally, I do think it's meant to be part of the connection George is clearly trying to make between Stark and Dane, which is going to come up again shortly, and there will be crackpots today later on, so don't go anywhere. So why don't we talk about Illyria? Because we fully expect her to be at Starfall, the first member of House Dane we might see on page in the Winds of Winter is Edric's aunt Illyria. Once Lord Beric's betrothed, what role will she play in the Winds of Winter? And furthermore, is there more to this character than meets the eye? Is there something secret or is there something going on? What do you think, Monaro? I think Alaria role may serve an unexpected role. Um, she will probably serve as a guardian to Edric Dane as his aunt, as he is now the Lord of Starfall. So she may, we, we don't hear anything about his parents. So we, well, other than she's his aunt and his, and her older brother was his father, but I didn't hear anything about his mother. So she may um, end up fulfilling that role for Edric. She's also probably going to be present when, again, the Dark Star Manhunt team comes around. And so I'm sure they'll probably question her and ask her questions. And through asking her questions, we may get some of the backstory that we're looking for. And plus, she also probably holds a lot of the the backstory for the Dane family. So we may see some exchange with respect to that between, you know, I don't, I know they're not supposed to be any more new point of views, but maybe we may get that. Once again, we see those other three characters coming through um, Starfall. Um, this is going to be kind of a stretch, but I'm also thinking that she may also play a role during the Fagon plotline since there's some proximity between her family and the Targaryens. She may also be a contender as a betrothal to Fagon along with Ariane. So she may know the truth also about Ashara Dane's fate, meaning I know there's some speculation out that out there as to whether or not Ashara Dane is actually dead or not. So she may be able to give us the answers uh, that we really are looking for to kind of put that to rest so that we know what Ashara Dane's actual fate is. So 
I think she's a character that has like a well of information about the Dame family and through which we can learn a lot. That may be a reason why George has, George has not really given us much in her point of view through any conversations with the Dark Star Manhunt operations team, as I've called them, we may get some backstory and some new information. I re bring on um, all of that backstory, please. Uh, definitely think she's going to be the first member of House Dane that we see on page in the Winds of Winter. So uh, that's where I expect her to maybe bring a giant information dump. But uh Let's talk about what's going on with this character, Illyria Dane. She's supposedly the younger sister of Arthur and Ashara, born just before those two elder siblings died, who they apparently died within a very short time of one another. She's raised at Starfall, eventually betrothed to Beric Dondarrion, a young lord from a marcher house in the Stormlands. And what I find intriguing about Illyria is her age. It's never mentioned specifically, but based on textual cues, it's possible that she's just about 18 years old early in the Winds of Winter, maybe a year or so older than Jon Snow. In other words, she just might have been conceived around the time of the tourney at Harrenhal. I've always felt that the inclusion of Illyria, and improbable slightly really, because you have three very grown-up children in this generation. So I feel like she's an improbable younger sibling of that generation that includes Arthur, Ashara, and Edric's father. I find that very curious. Not impossible. I mean, it happens, but uh, curious. I wonder about Ashara's so-called stillborn daughter, who was apparently born around the same time that Illyria uh, might have been born. And I wonder whether there's a connection. In real life, I know of several families where a young unmarried girl got pregnant and had her child in secret, and then it was passed off by an adult family member as their own, by like by her mother as a younger sibling, for instance, or uh, in one case that I know actually quite well, by an aunt as a cousin. So I wonder, could Ashara have done something similar, passing off her daughter as her sister and putting around the story to a small circle at court who may have seen her visibly pregnant that her child had actually been stillborn but my mom had a baby meet my sister right so we'll be diving more into ashara next but suffice it to say that while it seems like something happened to her at the Turning Harrenhal, uh, and whether that was a consensual affair with someone like Brandon Stark or something much darker, like an assault or some sort of some other sort of dishonor to echo Barristan Selmy's thoughts, we don't really know yet. But perhaps someday we will. And if we do, I predict it will involve Illyria. I also feel like it's important to make note here before we go into more depth about Ashara that Barristan never specifically says she was dishonored by a Stark. He says that she was possibly mad with grief for the child she had lost and perhaps for the man who had dishonored her at Harrenhal as well. And he wonders if he had confessed his feelings to her, whether she might have looked to me instead of Stark. So those two sentences are removed from one another. So I think it really could go either way. There could be a connection. There could that Stark could be the 
dishonoree, dishonorer, or he could not be. So it would just be someone that she looked to for help after that dishonoring happened. Uh, but it's also possible and even likely knowing Barristan that dishonor is in the eye of the beholder. You got Barristan, who's a relatively conservative, I would I would guess, and based on what we know of him, uh, he's from the Stormlands, you know, may have seen whatever went on as dishonor if when, um, you know, something could be completely normal in Dorne. In Dorne, you get the princess of Dorne openly talking about her sex life with her father, the unmarried princess of Dorne, his heir. Uh, and her father seems embarrassed, not because she had sex, but because he's her father, right? So, you know, I think Barristan is very likely to see something as dishonorable that maybe in Dornish culture would just be seen as completely normal. We can't really know. Again, keep reading. More to come to uh, before we can really make that call. Okay, great points. And I'm particularly excited by the cracking of pots. It's how stain everyone. It wouldn't be how's Dane if we didn't really not just crack some pots, if we broke all the pots. So we're gonna turn the crack pot up to eleven from this point on. We're gonna begin with the Shara Dane. Ashara is a character from the past who invites all sorts of speculation, once rumoured to be the mother of Ned Stark's bastard son. There is a confusing and often contradictory array of stories told about her. She and Ned were in love. She was dishonoured at Harrenhal. She bore a stillborn daughter. She killed herself out of grief after the loss of her brother. She was John's mother. Her death was a result of Ned taking her child away. The details and speculation goes on. So what do we really think is going on here with this mysterious character, Ashara Dane, Minaro? Yeah, I agree. There, there are a lot of speculations with respect to Ashara Dane, but I tend to lean toward the more simpler explanation. I do believe that there may have been some interaction between her and Ned, or and her, or her and the Stark brothers at Heron Hall. It was a pretty, you know, a, a pretty big uh, tourney, so it's not hard to to believe that they had some interaction but i don't think their interaction was more than maybe a kiss or a dance if she had been dishonored as we hear um at heron hall i don't believe it was any of the stark brothers i tend to think that she may have had a secret uh, relationship and that her pregnancy was a result of that and that um, that liaison may have happened at uh, at the tourney. I do often wonder if she killed herself because of grief over someone else that was present at the Tower of Joy and not her brother. And my thought went to maybe Oswell went. Um, it is possible they may have had a secret relationship and that when Ned came back and gave her the news about what happened at the Tower of Joy and to return Dawn, um, she may have been stricken with grief, not only because she lost her baby, but also the father of said baby. Um, I know it's a stretch, but it has crossed my mind. Yeah, that's a good point. And of course, this is just what Barristan thinks, that it wasn't just the baby, but also a man 
the loss of a man that drove her mad with grief. But in my opinion, if the dishonor at Harrenhal was the cause of the so-called stillborn child, then we have a slight timeline issue because the tourney of Harrenhal occurred well over a year and a half at, at best guess, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe significantly more before Ned arrived at Starfall with Dawn from the Tower of Joy. Uh, this much is evident in the fact that Aegon, born some months after the tourney, we know Ilya was pregnant at the tourney, but she wouldn't have been able to travel if she was heavily pregnant. So, you know, his birth had to take place several months at least afterwards. Uh, and he is said by George R. R. Martin to be a year old, give or take a turn or two at the sack. Turn By a turn, he means a month. So, you know, we're now we're up to you know, definitely more than a year, possibly as much as, you know, maybe 14, 16 months uh, at the sack since the tourney. So add a couple of months after that for Ned to go to Storm's End, lift the siege, travel to the Tower of Joy, confront the King's Guard, and finally make his way to Starfall, where he found Lady Ashara, and you might begin to see the issue. In Barristan's worldview, Ashara had a stillborn child, and then nine months, give or take a few months, so make it six to 12 months later, she killed herself with grief over it. And if the man who caused her grief was maybe Brandon Stark, as many suggest, he'd also been dead for over a year, and it's unlikely that Ned was the one breaking that news to her. She would have heard that already. So I'm not saying that there's a limitation on grief. There certainly is not. I'm saying that something about this story doesn't feel right. And it's this inconsistency, which I think brings all of those Ashara is still alive theories to bear. Uh, something I think we'll get back to in just a moment. But one more thing I want to add is that Barristan, who is both our best and worst source on Ashara, because while he clearly paid very close attention to her, all of his opinions are sort of rose-tinted because he adores her. So you have to, you know, we take his his uh, viewpoint, but we have to take it with a grain of salt. Uh, but Barristan clearly holds Ned in very high esteem. He never thinks badly of Ned. Uh, so I think it's unlikely that if Ned was the one who, in Barristan's worldview dishonored his his love ashara that he would be thinking so highly of him on the other hand in another context he also thinks about how women always choose fire over mud and of the two stark brothers brandon is clearly fire whereas shy solemn ned is mud much more akin to you know the dutiful quentin who is who that's who Barristan is thinking about specifically in that in that context. But therefore, I think in Barristan's worldview, um, Ned would be unlikely to attract the attention of someone like Ashara, whereas someone like Brandon Stark, uh, unpredictable, definitely a fireman who we could compare to Dario, <laughs> which is who Barristan was thinking of when he had that thought, uh, I think it's more likely to have been Brandon um, just going off of his perception of things. Good answers, guys. I think that what all these stories about a Sharad Dane do show us on a sort of meta level is how the rumor mill works within the story. 
And I think this is something that George loves to play with and also serves to point something out to the reader. There's an important story here, guys. He's very short on details, but keep reading, as we've said George loves to say. So more details to come on this one. And to continue with the conversation about Ashara Dane, at the end of the day, what is Ashara's role in the story? Are we supposed to think she's still alive? I think, as I said, we're really going to enter crackpot territory. So, guys, why don't you share your favourite unlikely theory about Ashara and a shout out to patron Rohan Blackwood for encouraging us here. Monaro. Okay, so I'm really bad at crackpots, but here we go. So just as a caveat, I tend to think that she's dead. I think she's dead, dead, um, not alive, um, is not breathing, is not undead, um, is not walking among us, is not, you know, I think she has gone to meet her maker by throwing herself over a tower and a landing um, against some rocks. I don't know why anybody would want to kill themselves that way. Um, that looks very painful, but there you have it. The crackpot that I probably would be more more um, likely to believe is the Septa Lamore crackpot, that she is actually secretly Septa Lamore and that she is part of this whole Black Fire plot about um, in you know putting Aegon son um, back on the throne. That would be the, the only crackpot that I think that I would be more likely to be on board with if I were into, you know, really good at crackpotting, but I don't crackpots, I cook in them um, because I'm a foodie and which has nothing to do with the stream, but I thought I'd mention it. But I listen to them and I'm and usually when I listen to a lot of these crackpots, I'm like, I don't understand how that makes sense. But then, you know, I'm a linear person sometimes and I'm kind of weird that way. So yeah, I think I'd go, I think the Septa Lamore crackpot would be the one that I would more likely lean towards um, going with. And the reason behind that, I would think maybe, maybe she feels that she would be, she's aligning herself to, to do some good. Maybe things didn't work out for her, but maybe she can do something for um, the Targaryens, I don't know. I have no idea, but there you have it. Well, I uh, definitely respect the idea that she simply died, as stated, because sometimes, you know, we have to think a death is just a death. Uh, but uh, in that case, I think we would need a whole lot more information to explain the inconsistencies I mentioned earlier. And just just in that, so far, all of our information comes from Baristan, and we just or most of our information comes from Baristan and we would just need to hear from other people like why this happened. Maybe we just will never know why it happened. If, if that's the case, we sometimes we don't in these cases. Right. So, but the whole keep reading aura that surrounds not only Ashara, but house Dane in general might be leading to this. At the same time, that aura of mystery could be leading to a revelation along the lines of what many fans expect, that in the absence of eyewitnesses to Ashara's death or a body as physical proof that she's dead, that she's still very much alive. Now, if that's the case, 
could she perhaps be hiding out as Howlin' Reed's wife at Greywater Watch? Uh, I know there's some people in the chat who love this idea. <laughs> That's an understatement. Uh, it was originally suggested by a poster called Maiden and Warrior back on Westeros.org in 2013. Maybe they fell in love at Harren Hall, uh, had an affair, and um, sh- and then she later you know, needed to protect her knowledge about the baby that Ned carried with him out of the mountains all those years ago. So I think that this is a great theory thematically. I kind of have issues with the timeline. I think Mira Reed is either slightly too young or slightly too old to have been conceived around either of the known intersections of Highland and Ashara, which were at Harren Hall and at Starfall or, or later. But, you know, it's not insurmountable. So, in fact, there's just enough flex. Thanks, George. This is the way he always leaves it, uh, that it's impossible to rule it out. So uh, then you get the Septalamore theory. This is very well trodden. And the textual and timeline evidence all seem to fit. The principal objection seems to be that Tyrion never notices Lamore's eye color. But look, this is George R. R. Martin, who gets these little details wrong all the time. Uh, and since Barristan, this is interesting, I thought, thinks about how similar Danny's eyes are to Ashara's. I say wait and see what happens when Tyrion comes face to face with Danny. If he starts to think that Danny's eyes remind him of someone, hmm, could it be Lamore? Then bingo, you have this kind of transitive property of uh, you know, Danny reminds me of Lamor. Uh, Danny reminds Barristan of, of Ashara, and therefore, you know, maybe that's a bigger hint. Um, no, I don't think for the record that Ashara is Danny's mother, <laughs> which is also a theory that's out there. Uh, but I do not uh, subscribe to that one. However, there's one thing that troubles me about the Lamore theory, and that's the level of groundwork that George put into Ashara early on, which seems to be at odds with the assumption that the Fagon storyline wasn't something that he planned until much later. So could he have changed direction with the character? Of course he could have. He could have developed it some in his own way or, or used her as he saw fit. But then we have to explain why it makes sense for her to involve herself in a plot with Varys when there seems to be so much um, in the in the text thematically that's connecting her to the Starks. So it's, you know, definitely possible to explain all that in terms of her loyalty to Ilya and Rhaegar. She could be a female mirror to John Connington, but there are always these lingering doubts about that connection with House Stark, which continue to be made uh, right into A Dance with Dragons. And one more thing, if Ashara is Lamore, you should keep an eye on John Connington's point of view. They're together at Storm's End right now in the beginning of the Winds of Winter. Uh, Connington and Ashara definitely knew each other before the rebellion. They shared a dance at the Turnier Harren Hall. And so if, if that is the truth of it, then it's very likely to be revealed in his point of view. Um, and finally, the last theory that has gained some support in the fandom, uh, apparently, is that Ashara is Quaithe. This one basically is, exists because Quaithe's identity seems mysterious, and she has an obvious interest in Daenerys, and she speaks the common tongue. But 
her only the only physical feature that's ever commented on is her eyes. Um, and they're not noted to be purple. So if, if this was true, then George really missed an opportunity to drop a hint or, or some sort of, you know, textual connection, something there. And then also this theory really, 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 really falls apart at the why, because you have to get increasingly convoluted to explain why a Dane would secretly leave Westeros to become a shadow binder in a shy. So um, to sum up, I think that George's keep reading mentality around this character, uh, he told fans now over 20 years ago uh, that all will be revealed in due time definitely means that she will have some significance to the story going forward, but whether she's an important dead person or a still very much alive person might be up for debate. We obviously have a lot more to learn about House Dane, and we definitely expect that a lot of that is going to be coming our way early in the Winds of Winter when Ariohota arrives at their home base, so... Yes, so with a couple of those theories, you mentioned the eyes. I don't think I can get past it because they're described as like haunting and violet. I just think that that's her most striking feature, you know, and it's sort of a bit of a contradiction for a POV just to to miss that or not note it. I've, I would feel a little bit cheated by that. Um, and then back to the Ashara Dane could be like living in the neck with some um, lizard lions I kind of like that one. It's very whole. I find it very wholesome. I feel like when I read about this, someone's giving me a hug. You know, she's she's out there. She's the mother of Jojen and Mira, and she's with Howlin' in Howl's Moving Castle somewhere in the neck. Yeah, it's quite wholesome, that one. And I, I think it it makes a surprising amount of sense. And, like, maybe it doesn't have the evidence to be, like, the strongest theory, but uh, at the same time, I can't sort of find a fatal flaw or debunk it. And I, f I feel at the very least it's interesting and wholesome. So look that one up. Okay, from one crack, let's crank the crackpot. We're on 11 crackpot. Now let's go to 12. We're going to talk about Dawn, the sword Dawn. It's the famous Dane sword. Dawn is a unique blade clearly designed to stand out to the reader. It seems to have the properties of Valyrian steel, yet we know that it's not Valyrian steel and is apparently made from the heart of a fallen star. It cuts Jamie's shoulder to the touch when he is knighted by Sir Arthur Dane. It has an unusual pale-as-milk glass colouring and has an unmistakable sort of X-factor by its very design. Overall, this is a seldom-mentioned blade that George does not want us to forget about. George has said in an interview that Dawn does indeed have an illustrious history, but has withheld further detail. So, what kind of history do you think Dawn has had? And again, feel free to go wild with crackpots here. What do you think, Minari? I believe Dawn may have been used in the first long night. I actually went back to listen to your um, your podcast that you did on the long night. And so I think I'm kind of feeling more affirmed that I think that it was actually used during the first long night. It also has the same description as the others who are described as pale and have bones of milk glass. 
So it makes me wonder if there's a correlation in the creation of the others and the creation of Dawn. Also the sword and the weapon that are used by the, the Dawn, the sword, and the weapons that are used by the others um, are also considered pale and very sharp. Though the, the weapons that are used by the others are, are described as crystal-like, they, they tend to have a lot of the same similarities in that they are pale and um, that they are very sharp. So there's a level of reverence um, with Dawn in that you have to earn it in order to be able to wield it. You're not just, it's not just something that is passed on. So I'm leaning towards, I think there is that the creation of Dawn has some correlation with the creation of the others, especially if I'm leaning towards that it was actually used during the, the first long night because if they are similar in, in their makeup, it would make sense that it is an actual um, lethal weapon against the others. Excellent points, Monaro, about the similarities in the sort of minutiae descriptions between Dawn and the others. And I think that does raise some good points. But I'm going to talk about a theory which in some ways is very, very similar and in other ways is the polar opposite. The notion that Dawn could be the ancient Lightbringer blade of the Long Night era is an old one, and I think it's still quite popular in the fandom. I'm very interested in this theory. It sort of fires my imagination and gets me thinking about things. Dawn as a name would be an obvious choice for a blade that had previously be called, been called Lightbringer and then the light came, so you call it dawn. Perhaps when Lightbringer's flame went out at the end of the long night, the red blade cooled to a pale white and the sword was renamed appropriately as the darkness receded and the morning dawn shone its light down on Westeros for the first time in perhaps a generation or however long. As I said before, it's a blade George has purposefully designed to be unique. And although it's on the fringes of the story thus far, to me, that could make it even more suspicious. Like, why are you hiding over there, George? Why are you withholding all this detail from us? When George says Dawn has an illustrious history, it could be an exercise in grand understatement. One theory I enjoy is that Nissa Nissa might have been a Dane after the long night and remembering it said that Nissa Nissa's soul went into the blade, Dawn could have been given to the house for safekeeping until the next Azora High arises. We're told Dawn was forged from the heart of a fallen star and ostensibly of course that refers to this meteorite but if Nissa Nissa was a Dane whose sigil is a star, it could take on a double meaning here, and the heart of a fallen star could be Nissa's literal heart. Lady Gwyn, can you add to this crackpot or add in any way? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I just want to add that uh, this theory has my heart. <laughs> I love that double meaning. The fallen star being at once a meteorite and a woman of House Dane. Of course, this would require that the Dane sigil predates the sword, but you know what? This is a work of literature. It's not real life. And if George wants to make it so, it's his sandbox. So great. I I just love the the wordplay of this theory. So yeah, 
and also George freely admits that as far as the origins of House Dane go, things are a bit fuzzy. So why not? I think if if you like this theory and you like thinking about this subject matter, you could visit or revisit our episode eight way back in the day. I think it's 2014 where we did an episode called Fear is for the Long Night. I think that was the name of it. And and this is when we started talking about and making this theory. And yeah, it's all grown on that episode. So go and check it out. Okay, so the Danes have a system and a position in place regarding Dawn and who gets to wield it. This position is called the Sword of the Morning. Again, it's a unique and mysterious part of the Dane family. And we know very little, in fact, about how the Sword of the Morning works and is chosen and functions, etc. So patron Christine wonders, do we think there will be a Sword of the Morning chosen in the remaining novels before our eyes? What do you think, Monaro? I tend to think that we won't see a Sword of the Morning in the remaining novels. Edric is too young, and at the time that we're reading the story, he was a squire um, at the time that he became Lord of Starfall. So he still would have to attain knighthood because most of uh, everybody who's wielded uh, Dane, I'm sorry, who's wielded Dawn and become Sword of the Morning were, were knights. Also, by default and extension, Darkstar is too much of a bad boy to be even given the title, so he's out of the out of the running. So, but even though that doesn't mean that someone will not wield it in the upcoming battle with the others, if there is one, I think the sort of the sort of the morning is part of the heritage of House Dane that adds to their unique backstory and their mystery. But I believe. The true star of the Sword of the Morning title is actually Dawn, because they go hand in hand. Part of you um, attaining that honor of being called the Sword of the Morning is that you get the honor of wielding. I believe Dawn will also play a pivotal role in the battle for the Dawn. So, <laughs> I know, right? I'm cheesy. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> I uh, I think. I think that, um, I don't think we'll see someone named the Sword of the Morning, but I do believe we will see someone wield the sword itself. Um, because if, if somebody, if if anybody will be named Sword of the Morning, it'll probably, it'll probably be Edric, but um, I don't see the story, you know, unless there's like a huge long, um, uh, hmm. epilogue <laughs> that goes into, you know, what happens in in um in, with Edric Dane to say he earns the title? Um, I don't see us um seeing that honor bestowed on anybody. Well, the timeline is a, is a very good point as far as um, dealing with you know what we have so far. But I I am curious about the fact that so much is made of this sword. George goes so far as to credit it in large part for Sir Arthur Dane's reputation. So uh, when when people questioned why Arthur Dane was considered to be so wonderful in comparison to someone like Barristan Selmy, who's so much older and has so many more experiences to draw upon, he actually uh, referred to the sword Don. He said that it, you know his reputation comes from that sword. So my opinion is why introduce it, create this mythology about it. 
it uh, about the, about the fact that it doesn't go to the heir of Starfall, but rather is bestowed upon the distressingly vague, most worthy candidate. What does that mean? We don't know, but you know, I, in, unless he means to introduce a worthy candidate to wield it, I, I don't know why he included all that information. So. The whole thing is all very kind of sword in the stonish, which makes me believe that if there is a candidate, it will be someone entirely unlikely, someone we never thought of. Think about the movie, The Sword in the, Sto- in the Stone. It's a Disney cartoon, but it's based on Arthurian legend. And the kid who pulls the sword out of the stone in that Disney movie is called Wart. Well, it's actually based on the Once a Future King. So Wart, really, and the scrawny little kid totally unlikely. So I don't know. George has also said that we'll learn more about the office of Sword of the Morning eventually. So he's introduced it. He's promised that someday he's going to explain it. And he has said that Dawn is being kept at Starfall until another Sword of the Morning shall arise. So does that mean that it will happen? Will it, that it won't happen? We can't really say. I mean, I tend to think that it means that one will, but maybe that's wishful thinking. Uh, all that said, I, I'm not sure it would be Darkstar since he's uh, so far fairly unworthy. <laughs> and if George is really thinking of him along the lines of Sandor and Theon, characters like that, he's going to have a long way to go to prove any kind of worthiness, uh, which, you know, I, I don't know that we have enough time and space in the narrative for all that. I, you know, I don't know. However, George is also noted to be withholding a Dane family tree for the winds of winter. So there could be a surprise relative waiting in the wing, someone we haven't met or haven't considered. Imagine finding out that some random person that maybe that we've known all along is, is closely related to the Danes. And regarding that, uh, before we leave this topic, I have to point out that we do know <laughs> that both John and Daenerys uh, carry Dane blood. You alluded to it earlier, I believe. They have this ancestor, Diana Dane, who was the mother of Aegon the Fifth? Uh, so they're both definitely descendants of Danes. So uh, I think it is impossible at this point to rule either of them out as somehow being considered worthy recipients of the sword. Okay, so we've heard speculation about Dawn's potentially very large role in Westerosi history. And the Office of the Sword of the Morning. Now let's wrap up our chat regarding this strange and wonderful sword by talking about what role it could play in the upcoming books. Could Dawn help the battle against the others? If so, how would it make its way up north into appropriate hands? Minara, why don't you take us away? I think it could play a big role in the battle against the others. If we are to believe that Dawn was forged to help with the first long night, then it definitely could help against the battle against the others. I know there's speculation that John will will wield Dawn in that battle. How it would get north, maybe Edric and Ilaria Dane could bring on Dawn north as part of some sort of a Westerosi alliance to a common foe, or they can send it via an envoy. Also, they could give Dawn um, towards that towards that battle 
also in honor of the fact that Ned once made the trip after Arthur Dane um, died at the Tower of Joy and he returned the sword. So maybe as a as some sort of reciprocity, they may return the favor by allowing House Stark, i.e. John, to wield it for the battle. I'm not sure how else Dawn would could make it north other than House Dane either physically taking it there themselves or sending it there via some sort of an envoy or um, somebody from the north coming to Starfall to claim the to um, take the sword and then going back. Wow, Manara, that idea that they could sort of repay the favor to the Starks in their hour of need. I'd never heard that. And, you know, I thought it was great. I really enjoyed listening to that. I, I thought I've heard everything, but that's new to me. And I thought that it was a pretty, pretty neat uh, take there. So overall, we don't know for sure how George is going to handle this Azora High come again business with Lightbringer 2.0. And how much of history is a wheel and might be recycled and mimicked. And the TV show never really delved into this territory much at all. So we can't really gain any clues there. But if there is a, another Lightbringer moment, I think it would be folly not to consider Dawn as a potential candidate at least to the old Lightbringer that could be reignited somehow say, in the midway point of the final book when shit's going to go down. In A Dance with Dragons, Jon Snow has a dream about holding a red blade. So fans do wonder if this was a dragon dream of the future facilitated by Jon's secret Targaryen blood. If it were, could this be Dawn in his hands in a sort of prophecy? I was talking to a few of our patrons over at the Radio Westeros Discord and our friend TJ was the one who pointed out to me how difficult it would be to physically get Dawn up north to the wall from a, a sort of writing and logistical perspective. It was him that inspired that part of the question. And I, th I think it's a great point. And it's difficult to imagine this eventuality in terms of what needs to happen. If it wasn't done well, it might not feel like a natural story progression. This is what TJ said, and I think I agree with him. However, if George wanted it to happen, I don't think it's impossible. And so I wouldn't call it a fatal flaw as such. It just has some explaining to do. I guess it would involve Edric or maybe Darkstar, perhaps becoming Sword of the Morning and identifying an Azora high up the wall in, in his hour of need, or her even, when it was clear the Long Night had returned. Or else Samwell could bring it up there, that's another idea. And yeah, it's difficult to imagine, but my imagination is no match for George R. R. Martin's. The idea of the Dane in-story law involving a sort of call to arms next time there's an other's invasion is exciting to me. You know, oh, the Long Night's kicking off again. Remember our oath from 5,000 years ago? I think that would be pretty cool. It could be part of the Sword of the Morning position that again seems curiously unique and special when it refers to the end of the night once more. So yeah, that could be part of the deal. If you're Sword of the Morning, you could be on standby, you know. If the others come, part of your role is to hand this blade to the new Azora High, which will be evident. I know this is rich into crackpot, but yeah, I love this stuff.
What do you think, Lady Gwen? Well, you know, I think it's clearly a magical sword or a sword of destiny. And, you know, it's not Valyrian steel, but we don't know what its powers may be yet. So, you know, John thinks about how they'll need all the Valyrian steel in Westeros to defeat the others. And Don could end up being just another tool in that ideal tool belt. And as for how it would get to the wall, I guess if George wants it to get there, he'll find a way. Edric or Darkstar head north or, I don't know, maybe even Illyria Dane or, you know, something. Some member of the family could deliver it up there. And uh, we also have the potentially yet-to-be-revealed Dane relative that I mentioned earlier once he you know, once George reveals that Dane family tree, which he's intentionally withheld until the winds of winter. And we don't really know why that is yet. So, you know, if someone is revealed to be a Dane or related closely to the Danes, you know, that could come into play. And there is a lot of story left, you know, two books, guys, if we, if we cast, if we consider basically feast and dance as more or less one story, you know, along the timeline, there's not uh, a huge, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty much parallel on the timeline. Dance goes a little beyond Feast, of course. But so if we cast ourselves back two full books and look at what ground was covered from the end of A Clash of Kings to the end of A Dance with Dragons, there's a lot of narrative ground covered there. And that's what George has left to cover theoretically in the next in in uh, the winds of winter and a dream of spring so you know i don't i don't think anything is off the table in terms of what he could show to us in that time excellent and on to the final question we're talking about house dane today i want it to be a question all-encompassing house dane questions let's finish up with a dis discussion about the house itself what a house, guys. From those strange purple eyes to the Sword of the Morning to the mystical Blade Dawn, I think we can all agree that House Dane screams mystery. So how do we view and explain the Danes in this story? Why do they have those purple eyes associated with Valyrians when they're an ancient house from Westeros? People speculate that they are proto-Valyrians, but what does that even mean? George has written them to be full of mystique and placed them physically away from ancient northern houses. Is there meaning in any of this or is this just part of George's world building to build a, a richer environment? George's effort to make a more wondrous world. What do you think, Manaro? When you said proto-Valerians, I started thinking about David from Covenant. <laughs> Uh -huh. but, um, but um the danes are definitely a mystery they are not of valerian descent but they share similar characteristics such as the purple eyes and the pale blonde hair it's possible that the first men that they descend from like we don't i, I well i'll say i don't really know much or i haven't read much about what the first first men were like before they came over into Westeros. So we don't know who else in the population that they may have intermarried with or mated with before they came to Westeros. So there may be some explanation as to why that may be, why they have some of those same similarities, but may not necessarily be Valerian, Valerian descent. 
or they may also share some other's blood like the Stark. Again, I go back to when the when the uh, dawn was created, it was created around the same time, you know, around the time of the long night and the similarities between dawn and the others. Um, maybe they may also share some other mystical type of lineage um, like the Starks do. So that could account for it. I think everything George does has meaning, either big or small. Every character plays a part in moving the story forward. House Dane, though shrouded in mystery, has a significant role, significant role to play, I believe. Their mystery seems to be slowly unfolding. And knowing George, who is like the master of, of misdirection, I believe that the mystery of House Dane will not be what we expected, but it will totally be worth it once it's um, revealed. Yes. Well, I agree. Very, all very, very well said. Uh, I think that... Uh, Regarding those purple eyes, George has compared Ashara Dane to Elizabeth Taylor, who in real life had violet eyes, but was obviously not Valerian. He's just George being cheeky there, but I think his point might be, or the point might be, that George likes to weave unusual features not commonly found in real life into a story. So he's either intentionally trying to cloak something, or he's just saying, yeah, I just like purple eyes you know i have a thing for liz taylor <laughs> i don't really get hung up on it on the physical similarities too much for that reason because that that could be that could be the case and ashara dane who has very dark hair with those violet eyes is obviously more of a liz taylor type than a valerian type so i don't i don't know but in saying that he could also obviously be trying to divert from what his true intention is. Uh, I do want to say that the pale silvery hair of Edric and Gerald, you know, could come in, could come from elsewhere. And uh, it's, it's worth saying that Arthur Dane's coloring is never noted. He's often depicted as having silver hair, but it's never said that he does. So we don't really know if that sort of ash blonde hair that Edric has and, and what the coloring that Gerald Dane chose could be a fluke or come from elsewhere, be unrelated to purple eyes because neither of them are noted as having purple eyes. We don't know. More information, please. So all of that said, right, every single comment George has ever made about House Dane Arthur, Ashara, the Sword of the Morning, Dawn, and even Darkstar is couched in that keep reading language. More to come. You know, he's made a few small tantalizing reveals over time, but overall his message continues to be that there's more to come and he's holding it back for the right moment, including that very specific information that he's holding back a family tree for the Winds of Winter. So I think that all together that the this pattern indicates that whatever is coming it will be important yes mystery he's definitely withholding i just sense it i think there is definitely some major backstory to the danes the fact that they are kept apart from the north but have this ancient line and unexplainable purple eyes must have some meaning, I think, in George's world. As Monaro said, you know, everything's done for a reason. I would love it if this all coalesced in 
into a backstory about what they were up to during the Age of Heroes and even before that. People speculate their eyes could be Dragon Rider related. And although this is, again, into crackpot territory, really, who knows? Are you going to rule it out? It's difficult to say, isn't it? It's just, we just don't know the details. Magical Bloodlines, Dragons, The Others, Lightbringer, Nissa Nissa, all of these things have been mentioned today. But isn't it strange that we're talking about a relatively small noble house from all the way down in Dawn? I feel today will leave you having provoked more questions than answers. And with House Dane, would you have it any other way? Okay, guys, thanks very much to all of you for tuning in. And of course, thanks to you, Monaro, for joining us. You have a YouTube channel called Monaro Geek TV and it's a pop culture type of YouTube channel. Why don't you tell us about what's going on and what you've got lined up for the future and what you tend to focus on? Um, thank you again, um, Yoke Boy and Lady Gwen, for having me on. I truly appreciate it. Um, my channel, um, as you said, is kind of pop culture. I kind of turn on the camera and talk about whatever I want at uh, whatever the topic is of the day, I'm I'm more of a organic type of channel. I don't ever, you know, I'm never really prepared. I don't have anything that I prepare to come on. I just, you know, find something of interest to me and I get on and I invite my usual cohorts to come and join me to to talk about whatever. Um, upcoming though, I do have this anime show that I watch that I will be talking about in the next uh, couple of weeks. Um, that is what's um, happening. Um, I do also, I've also started incorporating being a more proactive uh, citizen and talking about some of the issues that, um, that we are currently facing um, in, our, in our world today, specifically more so in our country here in the U.S. today. So that has been something new that I've started. Quickly just uh, give a quick shout out to my cohorts, uh, the Mad Queens, Alicia Kingston, T-Baby, Timo, and Lady Diligence. And I also want to give a quick shout out to Johnny Gringham, without who, which I would never be on YouTube anyway. So um, I want to give a great thanks to them and also to Sam R09, who helped me pave the way to my infamous ginger ale chats. So um, yeah, so that's what you can expect from me if you're interested in pop culture meaning anything with respect to what's happening on hulu netflix disney um please feel free to subscribe to my channel i again i don't i'm not a person that that uh, uploads on a regular or on a scheduled basis but i do um do upload every so often and i usually do streams um my videos are not necessarily prepared so if you're interested in to, in that um please feel free to subscribe and thank you again thank you thank you for being here this has been a really truly great stream i know that the uh people in the chat have really enjoyed it and we uh, definitely have appreciated your insight and you being here and encourage people to uh definitely subscribe to your channel Folks, if you're listening, uh, like and subscribe right here at Radio Westeros. You also have the opportunity to support us on our Patreon. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about uh, what's coming up next for Radio Westeros. We soon have 
episode six of our Winds of Winter Primer uh, Patreon rollout or Patreon rollout starts uh, in about a week be public by the end of this month which is coming right up which means that our next live stream uh which should be in about three weeks time we have been to bump it from the two weeks uh just because of the release schedule of the next episode will be all about uh things relating to the stormlands we should be continuing kind of with a dornish connection by talking about arianne um, we also have john connington and uh Aegon and the Blackfire conspiracy coming up. So that is, those are the live streams that are going to take us right on through March and probably early April. So uh, right on into spring as we're sitting here in the depths of winter. Uh, so uh, stick around for that. More to come. Uh, thank you so much, um, all of you, for being here. And uh, also to all you people in the future, hello and uh Thank you if you're listening on the uh, pre-recorded YouTube version or the podcast version, which should be out in a few days. So we appreciate you all. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in on this afternoon, or like, like Lady Gwynne said, in the future. Can't wait to get this next primer release, The Stormlands. That's going to be really exciting. Thanks to each and every one of our patrons and our chat mods who facilitate these live streams and make it all possible and guys if you want to be a patron then go to patreon.com you can sign up and you get a lot of different kinds of benefits such as you can have shout outs on certain tiers and if you're a, a patron you also get an invite to our discord where you can hang out with us play games and talk about pets food relax things and of course the song of ice and fire so anyway you can check us out on patreon.com hope you've enjoyed today's live stream and thank you very much and bye for now ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.